let's hear it for our ginger orangutan whose scrotum looks like a yam, Dwight Shandy. Now, today, we're gonna explore what makes a monster. What's at the core of all this ugliness and violence? Why do we feed off it? See, people used to go to public executions, eat popcorn and buttered breads. And today, we fake those same thrills with horror flicks. We immortalize mass killers and we ignore saints. Why? Well, I think we're at risk of becoming a society. Watch your speaking turn! Anyway, <clears throat> people love monsters. And society breeds them because it needs them, I figure. And since I've been bred by this world to be this thing, shouldn't I enjoy a little fame? <laughs> So, today, here on national television, you're going to admit that you are not the orphanage killer. It was me, fuckface, famous celebrity serial killer done that good work. <laughs> and you made me do it all. <laughs> made me do it with your abuse of me. Blowing me up, triggered something bad, let loose my murder goose. All right, yeah, yeah, Chester killed all those people. Because? Because... He's desperate for some semblance of significance in the world to make a mark, even if it is just a smear shit stain, because he can't make anything, so he destroys, because he's the type of guy who'd screw a go on national television if it got people. Welcome back to A Deadly Class Act. This is the Carefree Black Nerds Review Show covering Rick Remender, Wes Craig, Image Comics, and Sci-Fi's hit television series, Deadly Class. Man, y'all, we made it. <laughs> Season one is over and done. This was the last episode. Man, oh man, oh man. I am your host, Rain Coleman, the Carefree Black Nerd, Carefree Blurred on Twitter. When you're listening to this episode, please use that hashtag ADCAPod. Talk with me online on Twitter, Carefree Blurred, on all other social media, Carefree Black Nerd. Make this a conversation. I'd love to hear your thoughts, your input, what you like, what you didn't like, who's your favorite, who's your least favorite, all that good fancy shit. Now, y'all, we made it to the end. This is... Man, this is some shit. I'm, I'm a little sad that it's over. I knew we were hitting for 10, and now that it's over, it doesn't make me feel any better. I'm still missing missing my folks over at there at King's Dominion, my uh, little bros and sisters and all that good shit. Uh, first of all, shout out to Deadly Class on Twitter and uh, Deadly Class through Sci-Fi. They sent me some merch. I don't even think I put a picture up, uh, but I, had, I got a T, and I got a... What do you call this? A flag. You know, you go to school, you go to university, you go to uni, and you get the uh, the flag with your school name and shit on it. It looks looks really good. I'm going to put it up in my office and um, 
sure everyone that I am part of King's Dominion <laughs> class. I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure. <laughs> so y'all getting right into the episode. A lot of shit went on, man. Okay, so this is season one, episode 10, the season finale, Sync with California. The heroes raid Chester Manor across town. Lynn runs from Diablo with his daughter. Man, say. Okay, so all in all, the things that happen, we have Lynn and Naya, which I'm not sure which plot it is, if they're the B or the A plot. I'm, I'm assuming the B because we get more interaction with the kids. But Lynn and Naya are on the run from Diablo. This is literally on the run like he picked up his daughter and they've been booking it ever since they running around trying to get away from diablo's people we get a little battle a little shootout a little, a little tension and anxious shit that goes on with that storyline and deservedly so uh then we get the kids raiding chester manor which is shabnam's parents place and the bullshit and the violence and action and all that and then lastly we get a little talk show a little kind of moment to breathe shit happens and you know we wrap up the episode with uh, i don't even want to say cliffhanger it was just some shocking shit that happened so kind of getting into it i really enjoy the series i'm going to caveat this how i do with every episode the black women where are the black women but i digress this show did a really good job at representing the comic book and taking liberties and going places where the comic did not, but still feeling true to the book. Um, I think everyone, for the most part, was represented well. Uh, we know that I had issues with Brandy from before because I felt like she wasn't much past being racist. And that wasn't something that I, as a black man, was going to be fond of. But in the same way that I felt like she, her only character trait was being racist, Victor, on the other hand, who I think was never confirmed as a racist, but I believe that that's a part of his character, he was more. So you could say they're two sides of the same coin, but the way that the show treated Victor was very different from the way they treated Brandy. Um, I think in the last couple episodes, Brandy really won me over because I felt that she was more than just being a racist redneck white woman. It was because that felt lazy to me. And I've said that throughout the entire series, but I really liked where we ended up with her because I'm a bit more invested in her storyline. Now she was a shit starter the whole time and that I enjoyed that part of her, but starting shit, talking shit, and then being racist wasn't enough. And I get that she may be a bit more of a fringe character. We're not following her story as closely, but man, I feel like they could have done better. Uh, with Victor, I think we got a pretty satisfying story, and I'm interested to see you know, how they come out on the other end uh, next season. I think at the time of this recording, we have not secured a season two for Deadly Class. So, Because I saw a lot of people tweeting during the live tweet, um renew deadly class which i don't know why in my head i thought we had already gotten a season two i don't know we'll we, we'll see but i don't see why they wouldn't get a season two i'm not 100 percent familiar with sci-fi's programming and like how that works with getting multiple seasons and you know if they maybe have some two season curse or whatever but the magicians seem to be going pretty strong so i would imagine deadly class would be up for a season two um 
Speaking about Brandy and Victor, because we don't really get them in this episode, another couple missing from this episode is Willie and Gabby. We don't get them at all. And I was a bit upset behind that, but I was like, you know what? For what the show is doing, for the time that we have, and for the episodes that we have, that ending of them last episode kind of riding off at the gas station felt like a good place to end Willie's story. Now, I say that while also saying this that contradicts that completely. It would have been nice if Willie had have shown back up at the end or towards the middle of this episode at the house and helped whoop ass. But with him not, I just, again, I feel like the show doesn't really know what they're doing with Willie or what their plans are going to be because he's now diverted so far away from where he was in the comic. And I don't want to hold it to uh, the letter of the comic, but it's just like for for as far off that they've gone, how are we going to get back on track if that's even the idea? So with all that being said, I'm really interested to see what happens with Willie and Gabby going forward. And I like to see them get fleshed out more. I like to see more than just Willie being upset and sad and, and pacifist-ish. And I would like to see more of Gabby where it's not her showing or telling Willie that he's better than his circumstance. That's all fine and good. Be a supportive partner. But I don't want that to be all that applies to her character like what they did with with mrs lynn when they had her be you know the supportive wife and whatnot then once it was discovered that it was his wife i still feel like she didn't get much to do until her death right before her death where she was whooping ass so i'm hoping that we don't do that with gabby i'm hoping we get a bit more from her um who else let's see gal gal was uh good overall the whole season i liked her um so yeah, so we get Lynn on the run and him and his daughter end up in this. What I'm going to just, I'm going to say it's probably like a drug out crack house. I don't know. It looked like a giant apartment building or maybe an old abandoned school, but it looked like a building that was unkept that people were just roaming around and shit was happening. And there was like a few maybe places people could duck off and do drugs. Uh, with this being the 80s, um, I'm thinking, um, I don't know. It, it just felt like a regular random drug house, but it was a good backdrop for this, uh, for this scene. It felt like, you know how you watch old Scooby-Doo cartoons and, and cartoons similar where you have the protagonist running back and forth between doors and also the villain doing the same, chasing them. That's what it seemed like, but a more serious version it didn't seem as comedic but i i enjoyed that what i did like is how realistic it was when lynn was running with his daughter she was a very convincing afraid child um to the point where i know i'm watching fiction and i'm watching people act on tv but she very successfully put me in this mindset that i was watching a father and his daughter on the run um the little girl and i forget um forgive me for not looking up her name but she was phenomenal. Um, I, I feel like she cried just right. It didn't feel forced. It didn't feel like where you're faking tears. Um, she seemed sad. She seemed upset, frightened. And then when she had her big moment of, I'm about to do some shit, she did some shit. She, um, she whooped ass. Uh, and that's funny because I think she may be like seven. Like this is a very young girl, maybe eight. Uh, she's probably eight because I'm thinking they, I want to say the show set up Naya to be 
the contemporary version of Gao when she was sent off to China back when she was eight years old. So I'm assuming that Naya is probably eight years old as well. All in all, Lin and, and Naya are running back and forth throughout this abandoned building and they hide in a closet. And this part was so heartbreaking because it was like Lin was like, oh, you know, remember play make-believe or some some kind of way he convinced her to kind of cover her mouth and the way they set up the shots where you knew Diablo's henchman I don't know if this dude is just his henchman or if it's his son homeboy with the bandana around his head uh if it was cleared up or um or said <coughs> excuse me or stated I don't recall so forgive me for that but we get him opening a door and the th okay the way this scene happened the guy Diablo's henchman walked into this room stepped over what was like a drugged out person went to the door to where Lynn was but then while he got to whooping Lynn's ass the drug guy opened his eyes stood up and started whooping his ass which was a good interesting twist but it took me out of it because I thought the guy was maybe more significant than he was. I'm thinking, okay, maybe this is one of Lynn's friends laying on the ground, kind of being, uh, helping him out. But then how would he know to help Lynn out? But then I also thought about homeboy, the, um, the, the professor, the gay guy from earlier who fought with Lynn and got away. I was like, maybe that's him, which it wasn't. This guy was substantially younger. But all that being said, it was a good fight, a good scene. But it really took me out because the guy was not important it was like well let's write somebody in here so this can be the reason that lynn gets away and that's a bit frustrating because i'm like the show has been doing such a good job why would you give me some half-ass shit like that well what happens is homeboy and lynn get to fighting and and this is uh diablo's henchman and he gets the best of lynn he's on top and whooping his ass but then, from out of nowhere, this motherfucker get knocked over his head and he fall into the ground. Lynn's daughter, Naya, has like a wooden plank that she didn't hit this man over the head with. Just, I, I clapped, I stood up, I gave her her, her, her roses, I, her things, her, her applause. Because though it was a very small part of the scene, it's like, man, you just say your mama gets shot in the head. Your whole life has been turned upside down in a matter of like an hour, if that... Uh, you had this threatening man sitting at the table with you. You've already met your scary ass auntie um, a couple episodes ago. So, you know, that's to be on alert for. Then your daddy has to pick you up and run you across town with his chunky ass. And then you get chased into a building where you know, you might not know <clears throat> as an adult knows, but you know you fighting for your life. And then you have to knock this motherfucker over the head who's whooping your daddy's ass. It was... Whew, it was terrifying. Uh, fast forward to the end of the episode. What happens is, baby girl gets away. Her and Lynn, they're all fighting good. And then Gal takes her. She's like, you know, our family belongs to the guild or some shit, she said. And this motherfucker is, is gone. Lynn... I don't know. I don't know. She, I know she took Naya as, like, revenge, but... I feel like she's also being the most true to the word of her father. And not to say that you need to be tied to the uh, family ties that you have. But if this school was built for a specific reason and you being Lynn 
took on the responsibility that your father gave you to run this school, just like your daughter, your daughter, your sister took on the responsibility to be whatever in the guild that she's in. Everybody's following through, but you're falling by the wayside. Like your family's supposed to be dead, and it's not that I'm against him, but it's like you, you are the weaker of the two, um, as far as what it seems like your father set this school or your family set this school out to be. For all on paper, Gal should be running this school. She should be in charge of a lot of shit. She's not taking no shit. She, um, though I wasn't a fan of Brandy when it came down to her and Brandy and Saya and the shit they had going on a few episodes ago, she was totally right. You know, if Brandy, though she played dirty, Brandy is at an assassin school. This ain't fucking Xavier school for gifted youngsters. This is a school for assassins. You do what you need to do to get the job done. So all that being said, though there is, I'm sure, a part of Gal that's very revenge-filled because her son is dead and now your daughter's still alive. Now she's about to do the same shit that they did to me when I was her age. I think a part of it is just her staying true to tradition. Now, however you fall on that, is another story, but you can't deny that Gal seems to be the one actually following through and being the quote-unquote prodigal son, the the one that is carrying on the family name and the tradition and doing things as they should be. That being said, please use that hashtag ADCAPod while you're listening to this episode. This is the final episode. Let's, uh, let's keep this conversation going. So uh, another part of the show, very important, is that we get the kids cutting the fuck up at Chester's house with his family. Now, I'm not going to go into every single scene because it was a lot of shit, but I'll say this. They really lean into that. The heels have eyes, redneck, Dixie, backwoods, trailer, trash, white people, like, aesthetic. And I like that because one, you know, the comics, they fought the family, whatever. But two, I think there we a lot of times you can slip into this 007 of it all where everybody is beautiful and everybody is great and skilled at hand-to-hand combat and everybody is just great and so when the winner wins he really wins whereas with this you got people who were convention unconventionally attractive they were chunky they were short they were tall and skinny they were I'll say ugly, and I don't mean ugly to be an insult because really it's beauty to eye to beholder and aesthetics and all that good stuff. But I say ugly in the sense that they're not all blonde hair, blue eyed, six feet tall, you know, five nine, athletic body. They they varied, and I really enjoyed that. And then seeing them being these redneck country, backwood, white trash type of characters, that's it's easy to write a character like that and make it be very stereotypical where it's just yeehaw motherfucker i'm yelling slurs and shooting guns but i felt that in this scene it was a really good fight scene was choreographed really well it was gory it was believable and where the kids were getting ahead and besting some of these people, there were times where they were really getting their ass whooped. And I felt like, yeah, this is true. This doesn't, it, I don't think that just because they were villains that they needed to get their ass beat right away. Oh, you dumb rednecks. You said, no, it was very, there were a lot of times where they had the upper hand and where they were a good unit within fighting. So I don't know. I don't know if what I'm saying is making a whole lot of sense, but I thoroughly enjoyed the fight scenes. Um, 
it was it was just it was it was so intense and it was back to back in your face a lot of shit just going up so kudos to the choreogra- choreography choreographers of the fight scenes kudos to everyone involved physically on camera in the fight scenes be it the actors if they had uh, stunt doubles whatever everybody did a phenomenal job i really enjoyed it and when the kids fought though they are in an assassin school it didn't feel like Things are not Power Ranger ass motherfuckers that can just whoop ass. It felt like they were really acting as younger people would. Fuck my training of battle and shit. Like when I'm running, I gotta run. When I got like even oh my god. So all that off to the side, it was good. You know, I loved it. Whatever. Billy, Billy, Billy. Now, how do I say this? I have liked Billy from the beginning, but I have really failed for Billy over the course of what was that? Maybe episode five. Whenever they went to Vegas, right before they went to Vegas, when he had that monologue, the episode prior, he was talking to Marcus about killing his dad. I felt for him. He's a very lovable guy. He's always smiling. He's he, he's in love with Petra. He There's a lot going for him and a lot working against him, depending on where you fall on his personality, you know, and him as a whole. But all in all, he's an interesting character. For whatever reason, these last couple episodes, I don't know if it's by accident or if it was intentional, but he's really been written as a very lovable guy, somebody who you want to be around. You want, Like, everyone is cool. You know, I would love to hang out with all these folks. But Billy's character, I just think he's a standout. He's he's really a standout. Marcus is good overall. He was a good, solemn, pessimistic uh know-it-all who thinks that he's better than other motherfuckers but has all these issues he was really good but and style was as well but i think maria i think billy maybe a little bit of legs but not so much were probably some of these standouts i, I don't include willie because i came for willie no matter what but i don't feel like the show really did a lot with willie or did what they could have or uh, use him to his fullest capabilities. Because in the beginning, he felt like, you know, cool. But towards the end of the season, I, I think he kind of fell off. Um, I think Gabby kind of revived some of that. But it's just throwing another person in the mix. Uh, so, like I said before, I'm interested to see where they go. Back to Billy. Him and Petra. Oh, my God. I just... Him, Petra, and, and Lex. What I want from season two is a polyamorous relationship between the three of them. I want it because I did the, the they ah okay so you get the love triangle between Maria, Saya, and Marcus and that's problematic in its own right and it's got a lot of shit going on but it feels very heavy it feels very um, aggressive and malicious and just petty and fucked up but then you see Lex, Billy, and Petra and theirs feels more down to earth. It feels more normal. Uh, well, what's normal anyways, but regular. Um, they feel very convincing and genuine. They feel like two polar opposites of the Marcus, Saya, Maria love triangle and these three. And they're just, they work together. So I could very well see them just being cool and being friends. But I think what would make them more interesting is just throw them all in a relationship together and let them work it out. I would love that, man. A polyamorous relationship of three assassins man oh god and that's representation right there give me more uh but so billy so saya when she first entered the uh the house she scaled the wall like batman on this like 
whatever that grappling hook and whatever. So when she gets in and they get the fighting and stuff, uh, she starts noticing clues that someone has just recently been here because when everybody charged in, it was like the house was empty. It felt that way. Um, this is important because as they're fighting, I believe Billy and Sire were supposed to wait on the queue. And Billy was like, we got to get in there. We can't go in through the front door because it was like reinforced steel or something. They couldn't get through. So Billy took his little short ass up on that, scaled the wall. I believe Petra did the same, if I'm recalling correctly. But I know Billy did. And he got in. It was just an all-out fucking brawl. So while Maria and Sire are going through their little thing, which I'll address in a minute, Billy is trying to help he's shooting these darts that was another thing i really enjoyed the use of the skills that we saw throughout the series being utilized in this episode so getting to maria and saya they're still on this whole marcus thing we know that marcus and saya had sex the episode before or was it yeah it was episode before and when he left maria high and dry and marcus Saya was getting bested where she was on the ground and some girl was on top of her whooping her ass. Maria kind of climbed through the window and stood there watching for so long, which is something that Maria does and I don't like that. She did the same thing when she hesitated to help Chico out at the 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 pop quiz with the poison and stuff. Like, she does that. And I get that she's thinking and trying to work things out in her head and some of it may just be, let me see how far I can, how long I can wait, how much ass she can get her ass whooped before I help out, but I don't like that about her. Um, to her credit, I don't like, to her defense rather, I don't like how people are treating her in this episode or in the show period where I believe she's schizophrenic or, yeah, I believe it's schizophrenic. If I'm wrong, guys, correct me. Use the hashtag ADCAPod. I believe Maria is schizophrenic and they use that as, it's like they they belittle her and they act as if she is nothing but her uh, mental or her, her issues, her, her diagnosis. Like, she's that's all she is. And that pisses me off because she's very capable. Now, she does have her moments where she is a bit erratic and a bit impulsive. But looking at all the shit that she's been through, me as a viewer and having read the book and everything else... Knowing all the shit that she's been through, and this is what pisses me off because I feel as if at least Saya knows the shit that she's been through. All the shit she's been through, what, it, you don't come out of that unscathed. And I believe there was a time when she stopped taking her medicine and that was an issue. But I would much rather see that issue, you just, you helping her get back to taking her medicine again or have that be something as opposed to every time she does anything that you don't like or that you think is wrong it's oh are you taking your medicine or do you stop taking or just the way they use that and hold it above her like she's less than it's like man keep on living you gonna meet some folks so you're gonna realize some folks you already met are dealing with things issues diagnosis and all this other shit but i just don't like the way that the cast not the cast the characters are treating her. It's like, man, what the fuck? You know, you know, well, whatever. We all have our demons. Um, I don't like that. Also, um, so, so they get to talking and Maria's like, you fucked him, didn't you? Talking about Marcus and they're going back and forth and they fight and shit. And the other thing I like about Maria is that she's very innocent, though she's not innocent because of the things she's done. She's very innocent. Well, her side gets to fight it. They are going at it. Like they trying to kill each other. And the, the fight kind of dies down and it ends with them at the uh, top of the stairs. 
And Maria's like, I think in Maria's head, you she would have thought they were made up and helped Marcus and everything would be okay. Whereas Thaya was just like, you know, the shit they say about you is true. You are crazy and this and that. And she ends with, I can't do this anymore. And that's not verbatim, but she's pretty much like, I'm, I have to live for me. I can't keep living for y'all. Okay, so a few things to unpack. One, don't fucking call her crazy. Two, I like that Saya stood up for herself and was like, this isn't for me. I have to live for me. I've been, I'm doing shit for y'all and helping y'all out and fixing people's troubles. And I think that is something that Saya has been doing. Um, I think probably because she wants to. And sometimes it seems as if she doesn't get a chance to have fun, to let loose, to be a kid. Even though she was smoking and doing drugs with everybody. But it's still, overall, looking at the whole cast and the whole season, it didn't feel like she was able to do that. Taking this back, I'm all happy for that. Great. But the other thing that I have an issue with is, you just talk mad shit about Willie not coming to help. And now you walking out in the middle of a mission. Say what you want about Willie. He didn't assist with the mission at all. You bail in the very middle of the shit when everybody needs you. Like we waited on your ass and you came through and now because you and Maria get into a fight, you're done. That's not fair to everybody else. Like what now? What happens when, let's say everything is over and done with and we leave the house or we have to scatter and now we don't know where you are? You know, even though Maria knows, of course, but I'm thinking like, what if everybody else had a got out and just ran their separate ways and then they're freaking out because everybody's together except for Maria and Saya. Or then we find, it's just, I feel like it's added headache and, it's, and you're being real hypocritical considering what you said to Willie before. Like, get the fuck out of here, right? I don't know. Um, so kind of moving a bit forward, we get Marcus and Chester finally having a showdown. And... Chester knocked his ass out, I think after he killed Shabnon's mother, who was in the cage in the basement, which, poor Shabnon, this motherfucker, man, he has no, he's an orphan, now you have to be at this school, and what I'm interested in is, though I know a bit about the books, I've stopped reading them, like, early on, so that once we go into season two, or once we get confirmed for season two, I might pick them back up again, but I want to go into it, just taking whatever the show is giving me. I don't want to go into it with too much comic knowledge. That's what I say now. That might change. Um, Shabnon talking to Madame Gao, that becomes a thing, or we've dis we realize that's a thing, and I don't have any sympathy for him at all. But what I'm interested in is what, how his parents' death is going to affect him. And it's, it doesn't seem like they're close at all, or close as you would be, I guess if you live in the same home, because he is away at school. But with them being dead, is he a trust fund baby? Does the money dry up? I want to see how this affects him going forward. If he has to work a little bit harder, uh, or now he's going to try even harder to become the head dog in charge. Like, I want to see how that works out. Um, so, yeah, we'll see how that goes. And so we get... Marcus waking up and he's pretty much on a talk show. So this is kind of Chester's interview tape to be on Donovue. Like when you, back in the day when the real world was new, you would have to like send an audition, audition tape in. This seems like him setting up, you know, his little mock talk show so that he can be uh, interviewed later on. We get, and I don't know why I don't remember this guy's name, the tall guy who has been, uh, Chester and his family's like pet for so long 
he's the kind of co-host to Chester being the host, and we have Marcus on the couch. And Chester's recording, and he's talking to Marcus, and he's bringing out old shit, stuff from back from the boys' home, how he was the one who did the shit, and how he should get the credit, he being Chester. But we get to this moment, which I think is more important, and this is a touching moment where Marcus... And Chester are talking, and Mark is like, yeah, you ain't shit. You're just lonely, and you're doing this because you want to feel loved, and this, that, blah, whatever. And Chester's like, I loved you. You were my friend. And it was just like this realization that though he's this crazed maniac killer and doing all this shit, he just wanted to be accepted. Like he said, that boy's home, yeah, it was terrible. Yeah, they would, the cars would, the guards would fuck with you and whatever, but that was a home for me. I was home. I was able to be home and be safe and yeah, I fuck with you and it's like looking at this relationship through the lens of two people. Marcus' entire existence on this show has been from the shit that happened to him at that boy's home, the shit that happened with his parents and how terrible he was treated by these people. But Chester's, whole motivation has been like you were my friend so where the things that Marcus looked at that was terrible and Marcus did things to retaliate to get back at Chester Chester was like yeah we did shit to each other but you were my friend and that was such a touching like this actor and forgive me guys for not looking up any of this but this actor he did a damn good job at making me feel for Chester in this moment now overall I was like fuck him that nigga is terrible whoop his ass, tear him a new one, kill him, whatever. But in that moment, I was like, okay, there's hope that this gets taken care of. You know, they veered so far left from the comics already. Chester ends up at King's Dominion. And Mark is like, yeah, you can come to my school. Like, we have a place for you. And that was all the rules because Marcus pretty much hit that nigga in the head and got, took off running. And that was cool. But it was like, man, Marcus fuck you bro <laughs> like i mean fuck chester but fuck you bro like you ah, oh, you made i don't know it's like if this conversation could have happened earlier sooner we wouldn't have the show we have of course but it's like damn man what could have happened uh so what happens with him chester is that he gets on top of marcus whoop his ass marcus reaches up because they're in a the basement and he pulls the latch of this dog cage and the dog jumps out and whoops Chester's that he bites that motherfucker's neck, eats them alive and whatever else. Now, because, of course, Chester had been having sex with these animals, so they hate this motherfucker. And that was that was the end of Chester. I'm like, damn, is that the end? Now, I'm sure he's dead. But if this show brings this motherfucker back, I'm going to be I'm going to be pissed. I would be pissed. Let this motherfucker stay dead. He was a good big bad. He was a good villain uh, for season one. But let's let him stay dead and move on. So Marcus goes and finds. Um, oh, shit, I just had a blank. He goes and finds uh, Chico's head in the refrigerator. And he picks it up and it's like, okay, good. God, this my nightmare is finally over. So him... And Maria are talking. And if this if shit has died down. Everybody's about to leave. And so Maria is like. They're kind of having a conversation. I feel like should have been had. Should have had. Should, they should have had sooner. They should have had sooner. Yeah. And 
Maria's like, you know, I, I get addicted to things. I, I hold on to things and I turn my addiction to you and blah, whatever. And she said, they said something about, you know, uh, you're supposed to love me. Curtis was supposed to love me. No, but uh, Marcus was like, but this ain't what I signed up for. This ain't, this wasn't what I wanted. And I'm, I'm with him. But I think this is a very touchy subject. And I, I keep in mind that they are kids, they're children. But still, people, if you're with someone, you you have to take a percentage of this baggage that this person has because you're deciding to be with this person. You can't just ignore their issues as if, oh, well, fuck it. You know, that's your shit you deal with. That's not a whole relationship. Now, I will say that you shouldn't dump all your shit on your partner like they're supposed to be your saving grace. That's why we have licensed professionals who can help you with your mental health and with things that are plaguing you. But the way Marcus dismissed her was very annoying because I felt that, yes, you feel like her issues are too much for you to bear, but you could easily break up with her and to use this excuse about well maybe she would harm herself or harm somebody else or whatever else in this case it does kind of work because she did shoot the arrow at his head but in the overall kind of scheme of things he was feeling that way prior to her doing that shit so it's like just let her the fuck go like break up with her try to be friends if you can and if not move the fuck on you keeping her around and toying with her and then fucking cheating on her with her best friend it could be anyone it doesn't matter but her best friend and then acting as if she did something to you yeah she didn't tell you about her being schizophrenic and taking pills and that is an issue to be discussed but the fact of the matter is you still could have broke up with her over that. Like, look, I'm, I didn't sign up for this. You're giving me too much that I can't handle. I just felt like Marcus did not handle that shit right. And I think Maria had every right to hit that motherfucker in the face and kick him in the nuts. You slept with Saya. You left me in my time of need. You know, you did her so dirty for so long. It's just like, but then maybe this is the karma she gets from you know the shit she did with him at the beginning making him think that she got her ass beat by chico so that he could go against chico and that became a whole big thing like that's probably at least partly why we're in the situation we're in now with chico's head in this motherfucker's hand so everything's died down we're following marcus and saya and let me know listeners how do you feel about marcus and and uh maria's relationship not saya marcus and maria like do you agree with me do you disagree um do you kind of agree with half of it and have a different take on the other i would really like to know because i know how i feel about marcus and i still like him as a character and i like everyone it's a good show but i'm i'm side-eyeing the fuck out of him because out of all the shit you've been through you haven't Ooh, I digress. Let me know. Let me know, guys, what you think. Um, so this is the part right here. The camera follows Maria and Marcus. Marcus has Chico's head in his hand. They open up the gate to uh, the Shabnon slash Chester's place while they're arguing. And they... <laughs> they open up the gate outward. So you can't you can't see out. And then once they step out, you see lights in their face. And Diablo is there with his crew. And he's like, yeah, uh, Maria, I was just about to call you to see if you've located Chico's killer. But I see that you have something to that effect. So I'm on the edge of my seat. I'm completely fucked up. I'm looking at the clock like, we got probably a minute left of this fucking episode. How are we going to end this season? Well, 
Lexler happy ass runs out. He's like, yo, we got to get the fuck out of here for some motherfuckers come back. Soon as he steps over that threshold and gets in the way of the lights, Diablo shot that motherfucker dead. Woo-wee! Boy, when I tell you, I I was hurt. Um, Lex probably isn't dead. But for that to be the ending, for that to be where you ended this season, like, fuck a motherfucking sew up everything in a nice neat bow. Like, you ended this shit like... Now we need to know what the fuck happens, and I'm so, I'm, I'm fucked up. So, a few questions I want y'all to answer for me. One, we use the hashtag ADCABOT, but one, how do you feel about Marcus and Maria's relationship? Do you agree with me? Do you disagree? What's your take on it? Two, how do you feel about Saya leaving in the middle of all of this? Did you think that that was okay? Do you side with her? Do you think that, you know, yeah, she had enough, they're bringing her down? Three, Willie and Gabby. What are your thoughts on Willie and Gabby? Are you okay with the way they've been portrayed? Or do you want more? Are you happy that they weren't in this episode? Do you think this episode could have used more of them? Uh, four, what are your predictions for next season? Like, we know that Lex can't be dead. Well, I ain't gonna say that because he could be, but I don't imagine that he's dead. One of the things I was thinking about constantly as I was watching this episode was how are we getting back to the status quo? You've shaken up shit so much, we can't. I only thought about the status quo because in my mind I'm thinking, okay, we got this show based off the comic slash trade slash graphic novels. We have really done a good job at following the first trade, the first six issues, pretty closely diverging a bit here and there. But the show has done things so extreme and added in characters and moved things around where there's no way I feel that you can really get back to how things were before and continue on how it is in the trades. Now, you can maybe have um, have us some kind of way get back to the school, but I'm thinking, how the hell do we get back to King's Dominion? One, Brandy and Victor. With Brandy and Victor in mind, how in the fuck would, why in the fuck would they go back to King's Dominion knowing that their dean or headmaster has left them to fucking die in this room? Like, when, when they get out, what are they going to do? Whatever they do, they're fully justified. Motherfucker, you left me trapped in here with all these, like, what? Um, with Gao coming in and taking Naya, what happens there? Do we get Gao taking over King's Dominion? Do we get... Because how can Lian go back to this school? It, Diablo is on your ass. You have to kill Diablo and all of his people because there's no way that you killing him is going to be enough. They coming for you. Um, or is Lin going to be on the run? Is he going to be on trial? Who's running the school? If, if Gao takes Naya to China and she's going to China, Lin cannot possibly go back to King's Dominion and act like nothing happened. So let's say Lin's on the run. Uh, Diablo has now probably kidnapped Maria, uh, Marcus, and maybe taken Lex's body. <clears throat> I'm going to say just them because I'm going to assume that the other kids see what happens and gets away or they, you know, don't get caught. Are they going back to the school? If they do, who's in charge? We got the monks walking around, but it always felt like this was Lin's school. We only had introduction to a few head uh, professors, but even them, they seem like they didn't live on campus, like they had their own lives. Like, what happens now? And I guess this is pretty good 
because as an audience member, you want a good, exciting show with a good story, and you want you want I guess as the show, as the creators, the creative team, you want people to be asking these questions. You want them to want to know more. You want them to tune in for your next season. You want them looking up everything online, buying the books, uh, um, reading the comics, looking at the YouTube videos, following folks online. You know, you want that. I think this show. All in all, did a really good job with the source material, with making their own thing, or making it their own thing, rather, and presenting a show that start to finish hit on all cylinders. I don't think there was one episode of this show that was terrible. I think everything that happened in the episodes served the larger story. There may be some things I'm not thinking of, but that's so few and far between if there are things that was kind of fluff, which I doubt. Um, Solid first season. Great acting. Um, it's something new. It's something different. And I'm very interested to see what happens in a season two and us getting a season two. So um, let me know your thoughts. What do you think about this season? Uh, what do you think about each individual character or who was your favorite, least favorite, favorite scenes and all that good stuff? Um, who do you want to see back? What are your predictions for season two? I'd love to make this the whole conversation. Let's talk about it all. But all in all, I really would like to know what some of your predictions are. Um, so that being said, we'll wrap it up here. Thank you guys for listening in. Uh, this is the final episode of this first season of Deadly Class. This has been a Deadly Class Act, a Carefree Black Nerd Review Show. Um, yeah, I'm check out the other stuff <laughs> on the Carefree Black Nerd feed. Make sure to uh, follow and like all the other BYNK radio shows. You have Government Name. You have the Social Introvert. Um, yeah, all in all, this is this has been a good, interesting ride from start to finish, and I'm happy that. This show, one of my favorite books, has become live action. I'm loving it. So uh, follow me on Twitter, Carefree Blurred. Tweet me there, ADCAPod. All other social medias, Carefree Black Nerd. Uh, email me, carefreeblacknerd at gmail.com. Any thoughts, comments, concerns, uh, anything. Do that, do that, do that. Yeah, yeah, take that, take that. Uh, <laughs> and um, yeah, check the Carefree Black Nerd feed for whatever shows may be coming up, coming down the pipeline. And uh, until next time, guys, stay carefree, stay nerdy, stay geeky, and stay listening to this whole collection of A Deadly Class Act. Get them numbers up there. And, um, yeah, rate, review, uh, like, share, and all that good shit. (laughs) All right, y'all. 